Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. You're joining us for a very special message as this is our United Night. And we've got a guest speaker tonight named Tommy Rudd who's bringing us a message from the Old Testament as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, looking at the faithfulness of David in the little things. Follow along and we hope you enjoy this message. Well, as you guys take a seat, obviously, I don't think there's one person in this room who would even like recognize my face. And you're like, what are you doing here? So uh, yeah, my name's Tommy. You guys have heard that. Uh, I'm from, originally from Jacksonville, Florida. Any Jacksonville Jaguar fans in the house? That's what I'm talking about. All right, already my favorite people here, Jacksonville Jaguars. This wasn't our year quite, but next year, going to the Super Bowl. That's how we roll with it. I'm originally from Jacksonville, and uh, I recently moved up here. Here's a, here's a fun story for you. Um, I was just sitting at home, you know, the casual Sunday afternoon, just chilling with it. My body is just wired in a way where uh, Sunday afternoons equal nap time. Does that happen to anybody in here? Like, I don't know what it is. Yes, I'm just going through uh, my day, and then boom! I get hit with, I feel like I run into a wall and I'm like, I have to take a nap. I have to, I, there's, there's like no other option. I was actually driving home from church and I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it on this road, I'm gonna fall asleep. So uh, that's not even the story I'm telling. The story that I'm telling, I'm already asleep, you know, on the couch, boom, knocked out, living the dream. I had texted Matt Dinsky, some of you guys know, may, maybe know him. Um, yeah, Matt, yeah, what a guy. Uh, I texted Matt Dinsky earlier this afternoon saying, hey, I might come by youth group tonight, just check it out, see how it's going. And uh, then I fell asleep, and then it was like 5.30, and I'm like, ah, Matt, I know I texted you, probably not going to come. And then all of a sudden, ring-a-ding-ding-ding-dong, Matt's like, bro, bro, we need somebody to teach. You want to teach? I'm like, bro, you're, you're, you're messing with me. And he's like, no, for real, I need you to teach. And I'm like, oh, Okay, so uh, here I am about an hour later in front of you guys, and just a little heads up, you want to know how many notes I have? That's how many notes I have, so that's really fun. Um, But I want to give you three really quick things uh, to know about me. One is I love adventure. Anybody love some adventure in here? Yeah. We got some adventurers, yeah. Yeah, I love some adventure. I actually work for a school called Vox School of Discipleship, and it's a one-year adventure Bible school where we go all over the country. We're going out west in a couple of weeks, going to be mountain biking, doing rock climbing, all while studying the Bible. That's my jam. I love it. So if you haven't ever heard of Vox, you should check it out. Matt, I had to do it. I'm sorry. It's a plug. So I love adventure. Second, uh, I love my wife. My wife is in the back. Look what... The, the hottest girl in the room right back there carrying the baby. Yeah, guys, I, I saw some of y'all checking her out. Just to let you know, I'll beat you up. I might not be the biggest guy in the room, but I will beat you up. I love my wife. She is awesome. Hey, find someone, a, a spouse that points you to Jesus. She does that. She is a righteous fox is what we say. And man, whoo, yeah. Yeah, find someone like that. I love my wife. And then third thing, and these are in no particular order. Don't, don't judge me, okay? Why did I not start with my wife? Don't, just stop, all right? So uh, the third thing I want you to know is I absolutely love the Word of God. I believe, I believe that the Word of God has the power to radically transform lives. And I believe this because in Hebrews 4.12, uh, there's this really cool thing that happens where uh, the author compares the Word of God to a, anybody know what it is? a sword. 
he compares the word of God to a sword. And I love this image because uh, if I invited someone up and said, all right, you know what? Instead of teaching tonight, we're going to fight. I'm just going to fight somebody on stage. Then y'all can be entertained and go home. And I invited someone to come up and I'm like, all right, this is a fair fist fight. And we, we get ready to go. We're, go. we're like this. And wow, I don't think I've ever taught where I'm on the screen. This is so cool. All right, we're, we're going like this. And then uh, uh, we're about to go at it. Biggest guy in the room. I don't, I don't care who it is. Uh, we're going at it. And just before, I'm like, hold on. I forgot to tell you. We're not fighting with just fists. Well, you're fighting with fists. And I come over and, and I bend over and I grab this giant sword. I'm like, oh, I didn't tell you? I have a sword. You have this. I have a sword. Now, uh, I know some of, some of y'all are going to want to ruin this illustration. All right? I know that. I was, ah, ah, ah. Just wait. All right. Imagine we go at it person comes at me with their fist and I go at them with the sword, who's going to look more different? Who's going to go home tonight and think, wow, what happened to you? You know, what, the person who gets attacked by a sword looks radically different. You can't get attacked by the sword and just like fake it, you know, like, yeah, I got my leg cut off, but you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, no, you get, you encounter a sword and you look radically different. Boom, guys. Word of God, a sword. You can't encounter the word of God and then the spirit of God working through this and look the same. It just doesn't make sense. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And man, I love that song. That's, it, it talks about God won't fail. He won't fail. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Hey, we don't have notes tonight. I, uh, I was coming in 30 minutes fresh off a nap. Hey, word of God is sharp. Will he fail? Will he fail? Someone say he won't. He won't. He won't fail because he has given a promise that his word is sharp, capable of piercing the heart. And so as we get started, if you have a sword tonight, uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to pray for us and then uh, we'll hop in. Father, we come to your word expectant that you'll work. Not, uh, not by some eloquent speech, not by some crazy amount of energy or some amazing illustration, but Lord, just for the fact that we're presenting your word and asking you to work. Father, we trust what you do, and Lord, I pray that we would look different as a result of what happens in this room this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So are you there? 1 Samuel 16. Meet me there. Let me set the table for you. So you have the nation of Israel. Most of you guys have probably heard of that. Nation of Israel. Whole Old Testament's following this nation who started uh, with a man named Abraham. He's growing into a nation. And part of being a nation is a king. So we have this nation who has a first king named Saul. And Saul looks like the part, you know, he's like a good looking dude. He's got a full beard. He's, scriptures say he's a whole head taller than everybody else. All the ladies are like, ha, ah. you know, like that's, that Saul is the man. He looks like the king, but we quickly learn in scriptures that Saul, uh, he might look like the guy, but he just isn't. He, he, just, he just does not, it does not work out, all right? He keeps on disobeying the Lord, disobeying the Lord, disobeying the Lord. And so we find this nation of Israel, God's chosen, chosen people, under a leader, under a king who keeps on disobeying God. And so God decides that he's going to send a guy named Samuel. 
He sends a guy named Samuel. He was actually involved with anointing uh, of King Saul. And uh, Samuel, what you need to know about him, he's a prophet, he's a priest, and he's a judge. All right? He's a prophet, he's a priest, he's a judge. Tommy, why are you telling me this? It's important, I promise. Uh, a prophet, someone who speaks to the people on behalf of God, to the word of God to the people. A priest is someone who is uh, speaking from people to God, so there's intercessory there. And then a judge, a judge. When you think judge, what do you think of? Gavel, right? Let me tell you something. In the Old Testament, when you hear judge, do not think gavel, think sword, all right? These guys didn't have a gavel. They, I promise I don't like love swords, but this is just where this passage has taken us. Uh, think sword. So a uh, couple chapters before uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see Saul again do, disobey God. He ends up capturing this king. Instead of eliminating everybody, he captures this king, Agag. And that's a terrible name. I don't know who decided to name him that, but that was his name. And Saul is like, I'm going to capture you and kind of parade you around. See, I'll let everybody see how awesome I am that I captured you. And Samuel walks up, a prophet of the Lord, a priest of the Lord, and a judge, and says, how dare you, basically? And he walks up to Saul, is like, how can you do this? Goes over to this old man king and uh, takes out a sword and chops him to pieces. All right. He chops him to pieces. Uh, Samuel, when he's bringing the word of God, it's no joke. It is for real. The word of God is sharp. Samuel's words are sharp. They are for real. You don't mess around with it. Samuel comes chopping to pieces, sets the table for Samuel 16. God says to Samuel, and 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. I said that weird, but that's okay. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So, Here's a transition period that Samuel is going to uh, anoint a new king of Israel, and he's going to the town of Bethlehem. Ooh, that's kind of cool. You heard of the town of Bethlehem. But this Bethlehem town's like really small, really small. And we know Samuel, first uh, prophet, judge, a priest, he's coming to town. And I imagine if you're in uh, Bethlehem at the time, you're like, this is, this is concerning, right? Why is Samuel coming here? This is a little concerning. And so much so that you see like the, the leaders of the city in verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling. So these elders see this old man Samuel coming to Bethlehem and they are terrified. They don't know what the Lord is going to do here. And it says, do you come peacefully? Like, they're like so freaked out that this old man probably has a cane and a sword just coming. And they're like, oh no, what is going to happen here? And so we see uh, this big transition. Samuel is leading a transition for the nation of Israel from one king to the next. So he's in Bethlehem. And many of you guys have heard this story before. He is there going to anoint a new king. We talked about how Saul, big dude, tall, handsome, probably looks a lot like me. He looks the part. <laughs> yeah. He looked the part, and uh, he just didn't do it right. So Samuel has this idea of what a king looks like. I bet you some of you guys have an idea what your future spouse is going to look like. Ooh, he's going to be handsome. 
he's going to be he's going to be strong. You know, like you have this idea of what he's going to look like or maybe maybe it's not it. He's, he's going to be skinny. He's going to be he's going to be a nerd. I, I'm, I love nerds. OK, that's I, I, OK, whatever. Yeah, you know, like you have this idea. Samuel has this idea of who uh, the king is going to look out. And Samuel thinks, oh, this is quick work. This is quick work. He's talking to uh, Jesse. And look at this. Uh, the first son. First son. Whoo. All right. First son. When they came, he, he looked at Eliab. They, meaning the sons, Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He looks at Eliab. And you can have this idea. He sees what a, a king looks like. And he says, wow, wow, Eliab. Eliab, I'm sure he's like strutting his stuff. Mm, 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 rubbing his beard. I don't know what he's doing. That's what I would be doing, you know, rubbing the beard. Yeah. He looks like the king. But, but we're quickly going to discover that uh, God has something different for king, for the king next. And he gives this really good, really good verse coming up next. And have you ever been into a church service or like some motivational speak, speech and uh, when, when a really good line is said, everybody goes, mmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mmm. You know what I'm talking about? All right, this is what we're going to do because this is super good. This is super good. When I read this, I want to hear some mmms, all right? If you want to give an amen, give an amen. All right, here we go. All right, for Samuel 16, chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, remember Eliab's before him, Samuel's thinking, yes. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Oh, you got, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah, I, I led you straight. I'm sorry, but that's, that's good. We got a second chance. All right, here we go. Here we go. Man, here it is. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Mmm. Mmm, dude, this is, this is good. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, underline it in your Bible. This is a good verse. And I just want to take a 30-second timeout real quick. All right, 30-second timeout. The Lord sees not as man sees. How does man see? He sees things by the appearance of things, how things go on on the outside. You can, you can trick a man, right? You can trick a person. That's what magic tricks do. Uh, unless you really believe that like, people are doing magic, I'm not gonna debate you right now, but oftentimes magic is, it's a deception. There's a deception that goes on and we're tricked by getting distracted by something else to see what's really happening. Man sees things on the surface, but God sees not as man sees. God looks at the, God looks at the, the heart. Hey, listen, what a joy. It is to serve a God who sees you for who you really are. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the God of the universe who spoke the earth into existence, sees you how you are? He sees your very being, your, your very uh, soul. And some of us live, I know, 
I don't know if you've been in this before. I know I have. But trying to do your best to put off this persona, put off this vibe, put off what you want to call it, to, to make people think that you have it all together on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you might be going through stuff right now and you just like tried your best to put on the makeup or wipe your face or, or make yourself look as presentable as you can tonight before you even walk in here so nobody asks the question, how are you doing? Or even worse, what's wrong? Like the, the persona that you put up wasn't good enough and they're like, oh, we work so hard to put off this persona, put off this image so that we can trick people to not see us for how we really are. And listen to this. Man, God sees not as man sees. Man looks at, God looks at the heart. That God looks at you, not for all the things that you're trying to put off, not all the things that you, you want other people to see. He looks at your heart. And this is what scripture says about you. He loves you. Not for the, not for the, the image you're trying to put out. Not for uh, the things that you're doing all the time. So you keep this, this uh, like, disguise or whatever you want to call it. Like, he looks at you and he loves you. And I just, I think there's probably someone in here. I don't know why God put me up here tonight. Like, there's all sorts of things going on today. But maybe some of you guys need to know that at your most basic form, at, with all the walls shattered to the ground, God looks at you and he says, I love you for that. Not for all these other things that you've tried to do. So there's this like really comforting thing. I hope there's people comforted tonight that he sees your heart and he says he loves you. Second, I think uh, there's a little bit of challenge in that too. Is you got to think, all right, if God sees my heart, when God sees my heart, what does he see? What does he see? We know God has an unconditional love for us, but what does he see? You can't trick him. And I wonder if there's like, man, maybe there's some things in my heart going on that shouldn't be there. We see here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, God looks at Eliab, and the, the, the thing that he says is, I look at the heart. I look at the heart, and so we see here, it seems like God is looking for a certain type of heart. God's looking for someone who is faithful to him at any time and under any circumstances. He's looking for a certain type of heart. And this is where we start to see this character in scriptures that's a, a man after God's own heart. That in this passage, we get a glimpse into the heart of a man after God's own heart. What does that sort of heart look like? All right, so uh, Eliab walks up like, that's not him. Sorry, he looks the part. Next son walks up, that's not him either. All the sons, each one of the sons that gets exited, the younger ones are like, all right, all right, all right, here we go. Uh, It's like the comeback that the Jags kept on having. Most of y'all don't watch the Jaguars, but if you watch them this year, the comebacks were epic. And so we're like, all right, here we go, here we go. The, 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 son, the youngest son that's there at the time is like, yes, they're all, they're all rejected. It's me, it's me. And, and, and uh, Samuel's like, oh, 
Definitely not you, bro. <laughs> I don't even have to look at your heart. You know, like, definitely not you. And this really, really interesting uh, thing happens where they went through all the sons of Jesse, where there's a lot of them, and Samuel comes in to ask this awkward question. I'm a family uh, with six kids, and nobody's ever asked my parents this question. You have any more? Like, that's, that's what he does. He comes up to Jesse and says, all right, I've seen all these sons. You got any more? And I don't know what that looks like, but Samuel's like, all right, you got any more? And this is what he said. Verse 11, I'll repeat this. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there yet remains the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Behold, he is keeping the sheep. Hold up. Another time out. Put yourself in this family and what's going on. Samuel, kind of a big deal. All right. Kind of a big deal coming to my house. And the word is he's going to anoint the new king of Israel. Whoo, this is a big deal. People are getting excited about this. The family is stirring. They're, they're freshening it up. They're looking good. They're doing whatever they have to do. And I imagine the youngest, who's not named here, youngest is is maybe doing the same things. Oh, I got to get ready. I got to get ready. I'm, I'm going to do my thing. And as he's going to get on his best attire to look his best self, the Eliab or uh, the, the, the dad Jesse says, hold up. Hold up. Actually, you know, there's some, uh, there's some, uh, you hear that? There's some sheep in the field that need to be tending, tended to. You need to tend the sheep, actually. While all your sons go and, uh, while all your sons, oh, while all your brothers go and try and get anointed the next king of Israel, I need you to watch some sheep. This is my little sheep. It's a CIU ram. Go rams, ram on rams. All right. You have to watch the sheep. Here, here's something you need to know. You ready? Write it down. You ready? Sheep, write it. R, write it. Dumb. Write it. Period. Write it. All right? Sheep are dumb. You're like, oh, that's so mean. No, it's not. It's just, it's just a scientific fact, okay? And maybe you're like, well, actually, there, there is this one thing that's really unique about the sheep. All right, let me tell you why I think sheep are dumb, all right? So maybe some of you guys know this, but uh, there is this tendency in sheep, if they're in mountainous terrain, that if one of them goes, bleh, bleh, and is like, oh, that cliff looks nice, bleh, jumps off a cliff, other sheep will go too. Have you heard of this? All right, just refer to what I told you to write down. Sheep are dumb. And they're like, bleh, boom, bleh, boom. So I was looking up online. I was like, is this actually a thing? And I discovered, yes, it truly is. I found this news article of uh, this farmer in the country of Turkey who had 1,500 bears. That's, that's bears. So like, sheep, all right? They have 1,500 sheep, and one of them goes off a cliff, and they're like, hey, Bill, are you okay? Let me come for you. Second one jumps off the cliff, until literally, I am not kidding, all 1,500 sheep jump off this cliff. Refer to the line that I told you to write down. Listen. The first 500 of them died. 
Kusplat, Kusplat, Kusplat. The last, the last 1,000 lived because there was this big, fluffy pillow of dead sheep that they landed on top of. I'm not, I'm not making this up, guys. Sheep are just stupid, dumb, all right? They're just dumb. I may not, never get invited back here. They're just dumb. And listen to this. The king of Israel is getting to be anointed. And David is told to go watch the stupid sheep. What? If you're David, oh, if I'm David, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. That's, that is dumb. Those sheep, they can run off the cliff. I'll buy new ones when I'm king. All right? He's... Uh, he's told to go watch the stupid sheep, the dumb sheep. And listen to this. You ready for another mm verse? Like, mm. You ready for that? All right. Here it is. Get ready. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. And, and just wait. I'll, I'll make it clear, right? Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Here it is. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Mm. Some of y'all are like, what? They sent and brought him in. Hold up, hold up. What, what does the verse not say there? It does not say they went to go find David and they couldn't find him because he really wanted to be king. So they looked everywhere and he was actually hiding in the rafters. It what doesn't say they went, they went to find David and he wasn't there because he didn't really want to be there. And so he was nowhere to be found. It does not say that. Listen to here. Well, we get a glimpse into the heart of a man after God's own heart. God is looking to use someone, use people who are faithful to him at any time and under any circumstances, present and active exactly where God has placed them. Present and active where God has placed them. God... Uh, had David in the sheep. Have you thought about this? That, God had David placed in those fields for a very specific purpose. And we get a glimpse into this heart that's, that's present and active exactly where God has placed him. So just, it, for me, it brings up the question, if God is looking to use people or faithful him at any time and under any circumstances, present and active, where he's placed them, where has he placed me? Where has he placed me? And I invite you to ask, where has he placed you? Like, Tommy, that's kind of weird. Like, what do you mean, where has he placed me? Another way I could ask that is, are you where you're supposed to be? Really practical, really practically. Are you where you're supposed to be? In class. Really practical. Are you where you're supposed to be when you're laying on your bed at night scrolling through on your phone? Real practical here. Are you where you're supposed to be on that Friday night where you told your parents that you're going to go hang out at this friend's house, but that was never actually your intention? Are you where you're supposed to be? There's something striking here to me that David is found exactly where he's supposed to be doing what he's supposed to be doing. 
where has he placed you? Where, and even more than that, where has he placed you in life? If you look at your present life circumstance right now, uh, some of you would say, Tommy, you don't know me. Uh, you don't know this, but my life is just a wreck. My life is a wreck right now. I have no idea where I'm going. I don't know what's up or down. I, I had plans, and my plans are just falling apart. I, I need to be... Uh, uh, I, I need to reach this standard in academics, and I'm just not doing it. I needed to get this scholarship, and it's just not happening. I wanted my family to be really tight, and it's falling apart. And God has placed me in this place, and it's just the worst. It's the worst. It's, it's terrible. And I wanted, I wanted to ask you a question. So David is getting anointed, or... Samuel is anointing a king, and there's two places that David could be, with his brothers or with, his sheep, or with the sheep. If David wants to be anointed king, where should he be? He should be with his brothers, right? If he wants to be anointed king, he has to be where the obvious place is. This is the obvious place to go if you want to be anointed king. But listen, here's the glimpse into a heart of a man after God's own heart. This whole statement, God is looking to use people who are faithful to him at any time and any, under any circumstances, present and active, and listen to this, believing this, that where God has placed him or you is the best place you can possibly be. Where God has placed you is the best place you could possibly be. There is this truth that there is no better place that David could have been other than in the fields. No, that doesn't make sense. He wants to be king. He needs to be getting ready. He needs to be with his brothers. He needs to be showing off his good stuff. No, the best place that David could have possibly been was in the fields watching the stupid sheep. Why? Because that is where God has placed him. And guys, God has placed you in some circumstances that you're like, no, it's not stupid sheep. My whole life is falling apart. I don't see how God is here or with me in this. How, how can where I am be exactly where I'm supposed to be? Real personal example coming out of college, uh, my last semester, I had this, this plan. I'm a planner. I, I wanted to get a job right out of college. I want to get married right out of college. I wanted to go buy a house right out of college. That was my plan. And uh, in a matter of three months, everything that I had planned and all the things that I held close to me were just falling apart. Where I had a grandma die. A couple weeks later, I had a grandpa die. A couple weeks later, my girlfriend all throughout college broke up with me. A couple weeks later, my childhood dog died, which those of you who don't have, don't have dogs are like, big deal. Those of us who do, you're like, oh. And suddenly, this, this uh, job that I was talking to, right before I graduate, calls me and says, hey, we really like you. you got, you're exactly what we're looking for, uh, but we just looked at the budget, and we just can't do it. And suddenly, 
everything that I thought I had, everything that, every single plan that I had made, God had just, it felt like took a sledgehammer to, just blew it up. And what does it look like for me to say, all right, God, where you've placed me right here is the best place I can possibly be. Thank you. What does it look like to say, this is where I'm supposed to be? And I know you guys are going through, like I gave my list and you're like, that's JV. That's JV list. And you could give off your whole list right here and say, uh, Tommy, your list is nothing like mine. And I want to challenge you. God is looking to use people who are faithful to him at any time and under any circumstances, uh, present and active where he's placed you, believing that where he's placed you is exactly where he's supposed to be. I think God places, places us in those moments so we might know him in a way that we never would have before. I think David has a bigger view of God in this moment. And we see in this passage, David not being where you would think he's supposed to be, but where God has placed him as actually anointed king. And that's an Old Testament version of, I think, what happens in Mark chapter, um, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, just real quick, the, the disciples are following Jesus, and Jesus uh, is very intentional with them. He does not make following him always very easy. So this is what happens. He basically sends them out on a missions trip. If you've ever been on a missions trip, uh, you come back and you usually say, it was awesome, God is good, and I'm exhausted. That's kind of how it comes back. Those three things, I'm exhausted. The disciples go out, missions trip, they come back exhausted. Jesus invites them, hey, let's go rest. And on their way to the rest site, he looks at this big crowd. And as he's looking at this big crowd, he, he has compassion on them. And I, he looks at his disciples and basically says, I know that we're going to go rest, but actually we have to tend to this, to this crowd. And Jesus starts teaching, and the disciples are like, remember that rest that we were supposed to get? Now we're listening to teaching. And Jesus teaches all day, all the way to evening, and we know this because it says the crowd gets hungry. And Jesus looks to his disciples who are now exhausted and were promised rest, and now they've sat through this all day, and now Jesus looks at them and says, they're hungry, you feed them. And the disciples are getting more uncomfortable right now. Like, this is not what they wanted to do. This was not their plan. And suddenly, they feed them all. And uh, the scriptures would say that they didn't understand what happened. Y'all have heard of the five, feeding the 5,000. They didn't understand what Jesus did, to, did at that moment. So they eat. All the people are fed. And then Jesus says, pick up after them. They get 12 baskets full. It doesn't make any sense, but they're still working. And then Jesus says this. He says, I'm going to go on this hilltop to pray. Now get in this boat and go across the sea. So now they've had this long, 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 long journey of doing uh, exhausting work. And they're just wanting a time of rest. It's nonstop. And then they get in, the sea, in this boat in the sea and they're traveling across and the storm comes. And it's the fourth watch of the night. It says about probably around 3 a.m., all right? 3, 4 a.m. And it says they're making painful headway because the wind was against them. They're in the storm, and they're rowing, 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 and they're exhausted, and they don't feel like they can do it anymore. And they're like, where is Jesus? What is he doing? They can't figure it out. And they're rowing, and they're rowing, and they're rowing, and they're exhausted. And I don't know if any of you guys have felt like your life is a row and rowing and rowing and it's not going anywhere and it's just exhausting. They're done. 
They can't, they are at their end in this moment. They can't do anything else. And you guys, you guys know the story probably. But Jesus, in the midst of this storm where they are exhausted at their very end, Jesus comes walking out on the water to them. And he gets in the boat and the sea, and the seas calm. And the scripture says here, In verse 51 of Mark chapter 6, and he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. What happens here? In the midst of this place that they didn't want to be, but it's where God had placed him, Jesus met them there, and they got a glimpse of Jesus that they never would have seen before. They better understood Jesus in a way that they never would have. And it was in the midst of the storm where God had put them, where Jesus had put them, where it's exactly where he wanted them to be, that he might know them and love them and meet their needs in a way that they would have never known. You guys ever been in a place where you just feel like you're, you're at your end? Maybe you felt like that tonight. I can't go anymore. I'm at my end. I want to encourage you. Where God has placed you is exactly where he wants you to be. Look to the horizon. And I just, I, I have this vision of like, the disciples so down, so upset with their current life circumstance, and then they encounter Jesus and they're just overwhelmed. Man, I, I want to be the type of person that in the storm recognizing, man, this this isn't easy, this is really hard, but have this eager anticipation to see how God is gonna meet me there. I think we live in a, a, a time period, a culture right now that's like, all right, if things get hard, I quit. I'm out, I'm out of here, it's too hard. When I think God places us to watch the stupid sheep, to, to paddle in the storm, so that we can meet, he can meet us in this hard place and we might know him. So my question for you guys tonight, and band, I assume there's a song after this. Band, you guys can come on up. My, my question is, where are you? Where are you? Are you where you're supposed to be? But also, are you in that place where it's just like, I cannot do this anymore? I can't do it. I'm exhausted. I want you to know tonight, when we find ourselves in those places, we often ask the questions, where is God and what is, what is he doing? And in these stories, I know God saw David, Jesus saw the disciples, and he had something up his sleeve. I have this full assurance and hold to this verse very tightly because when it comes in word, it comes in power. And when we encounter this word, it transforms us. That in Philippians, it says, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You find yourself in a storm. You find yourself not being where you want to be. He's there. He's working. He's with you. And he's going to complete the good work in. Father, I ask that... Uh, you would take these words 
and you would allow them to land on the students right where they are. Lord, I really believe that uh, your word won't fail. So Lord, I ask that your words would be elevated here and Tommy's words would be taken back so that your powerful words would land on the hearts of us today and we'd be radically changed by it. Lord, help us to be faithful in the places that you've placed us with this eager assurance to see you meet us there. Not run from it, but look for you, trusting that you began a good work in us and will complete it. In Jesus' name, amen.